Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. you. Well, uh, we're excited to be here with you. Good morning. You can do better than that. Good morning. All right. Hey, that's, that is what I do to my students every class. <laughs> we, are, we are really excited to be here with you and especially excited to be at the church that uh, Joaquin and Yvette Molina passed. And we uh, come greeting you from Lakeland, Florida, from Southeastern University. And um, Lakeland, if you don't know, is located in between Tampa and Orlando. And so uh, it is sometimes called Orlampa because a lot of people live in Lakeland that work in um, and definitely shop in Orlando or Tampa. Um, so we're not that far away. And uh, we'd love to have you come and visit. We've talked to, we had the beautiful privilege of meeting with your youth last night. What an incredible group of young people this church is blessed with. Such a spirit for God. And um, enjoyed their worship last night. But more than, more than the sounds of worship, it was the heart for worship that was so evident. And uh, we were so blessed by that. And so we told them that any time that they are interested in coming and checking out the campus to let us know, and we'll make sure that, um, and this is for any family, any parent, um, definitely your pastor has our contact number, and you can contact us, and we will make sure that uh, you have a, a great um, visit and tour of the university and, and get the information that you need. But the most beautiful part about the university for us it was quite a change going from pastoring, you know, for over 25 years and ending up on a university campus, and it's a whole different way of ministry and a completely different way of life. But when we were in uh, upstate New York in the inner city area and working with young people, um, those were, we call those the glory years for us. Those were wonderful, wonderful years. Sometimes when you're in the midst of incredible moments that God is blessing. You don't always know it until you look back and you compare it to other moments. So I have this phrase, it's called embrace the moment because you never know when that moment is gonna be the most meaningful moment for you in your life. And so when we were ministering with young people, we, um, my husband said, I, I will never be a senior pastor. I never want to take off my blue jeans and tennis shoes and put on a suit. <laughs> and the Lord called us into senior pastoring in, in the Boston area. But we look back to those years of working with youth, and we see the incredible opportunity that ministers have as they are touching this young generation and influencing them to not be the church of tomorrow, but to really be active and be the church for today. And it's beautiful to see what God is doing among your youth and the leaders that are leading your youth. And we knew that there would be a day that the Lord would somehow, some way, return us back to ministering and working with a, young, a much younger generation. And um, 
It came at a unique time in our own life. We have four children, and our oldest is 28, and our second, and she is our oldest daughter. We have uh, three daughters and one son. Our second daughter is Kara. She was just married in the spring. The third in line is our one and only son, who sometimes acts like the oldest and the only child, but he's king of the castle, he thinks. Uh, but he is, our, he is 21. He is a student at Southeastern. And then our youngest is Candace, and she is a senior in high school and will be uh, attending Southeastern in the fall. And to see what God is doing in the lives of our own children, to see what you work so hard at in their young years and the prayers that you pray as parents and to see how they begin to influence the world around them. And when we came to the campus, our second daughter was uh, going into her junior year. She flipped out. She was like, you're going to ruin my life. You come to campus. You know, they think going away from to school is leaving mom and dad and, you know, living their own life somewhere on campus. But uh, God has used it. She is now, after they got married, she was just called from the university to come. And she oversees uh, one of the girls' dorms as the resident director and and God has given to her 200 young women to, to mentor and to lead and to see how God is continuing that touch. And so we are excited that we have the opportunity to speak into these lives of young people. I work specifically with students with learning disabilities and physical disabilities and making sure that they have all the accommodations that they need. And you can never have a bad hair day, you know, when you meet with students that come in with short arms and they can't walk and they're in wheelchairs or they're dealing with brain tumors and you see them as survivors on campus. There are soldiers and they know that God's called them to do something great and no matter what the physical difficulty is, they are, they are set on that goal. So God is doing great things at, at the school in chapel services during the week, special chapel services at night in coffee houses downtown. It's an exciting place to be and so we encourage you and invite you to come, and, and anything that we can do to um, make that available and make it a great experience for you, please, please let us know. Amen. And so if you're here looking for a school or a university, uh, the two of us would be more than happy to talk with you afterwards. We have a little bit of a literature on a table here. But... You know, it was really interesting for us in Peru, as we mentioned, to meet uh, your pastor, Joaquin, and Yvette. And if I had a dollar for every time I heard him say, world changer, <laughs> you know, you, you can tell the two of them, it is a mission. It's a passion. And I'm standing here getting ready to preach, and I'm looking up here. I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, but... What, what occurred to me this morning is we're at a university that is all about world changing. You're a church that is all about world changing. Uh, the Lord sent us and your pastor and wife to Peru uh, to connect and to begin to share more in this ministry and purpose of world changing. But, you know, to, to change the world, we have to change our homes, we have to change our lives, our families. We, we need the Lord to work in the larger circles, but also the smaller. 
Now, a little bit earlier, you heard Yvette tell you that I lost my voice a number of years ago. Uh, many years ago, about 17 or 18 years ago, I was preaching, and my voice went down to this. And, you know, we thought it was a cold or laryngitis over a period of weeks. Uh, it ultimately was diagnosed, and they told me that there was little that they could do. Well, I continued to preach, to lead a church uh, with my wife in Boston, uh, and I ask God, why? You called me to preach, and now I'm having challenges with my voice. Uh, uh, how does that work? And I said, why? Why this? Why now? Why me? Why here? Then, after a number of weeks, the Lord began to challenge me. And he said, you're asking the wrong question. It isn't why, but what? So when... When I said what, the Lord began to put a desire within me to write. When I started writing within a period of two years, uh, he opened up doors for us to write and publish books that have gone all over the world. And he continues to do that. And he showed me, wow, your voice was going through a real challenge. I was opening up a new voice. A voice that you never would have imagined. Now, when, when I amen. When I began to accept that, more and more of my voice returned. Uh, it has never yet come back 100%. There's still a little residue, but the residue keeps me telling people that story. Uh, so, when the Lord closes a door, realize that he could be opening another one in the middle of it. Uh, the, the first two books that we wrote were question books. Uh, one is a book loaded with questions that you can use as a couple to grow your marriage. Then, there's one loaded with questions to ask your children. Uh, these books have and in print almost 20 years. Uh, they've gone all over the world, and now we are just about to release a telephone app uh, that you can use with these. And, and the Lord had something planned that we could not have even imagined. So uh, the work of the Spirit, sometimes to change the world, the Lord changes your course. The Lord will change you. And then we hit these points and we say, but Lord, this isn't what I planned. Uh, this is not what I foresaw. And then we begin to realize that he is Lord of all. Uh, he's Lord over all of us. So within our homes, one of the insights that really came home to us is the dynamics of the differences is between men and women. Uh, one, one of the ways that we saw the clearest is when my second daughter, Kara, was about four years old. And I was in the car with her one day, and she's got blonde hair, blue eyes, cute little girl. We're, we're driving, and she got totally quiet. Now, you have to know Kara. She never gets totally quiet. <laughs> 
and we're driving, and it gets totally quiet, and I wonder, what is that little four-year-old mind thinking? And so I said, hey, Kara, and she said, huh? And I said, what are you thinking about right now? And I kid you not, immediately she said, I'm thinking that you're handsome. Oh, my gosh, I almost drove the car off the road. You know, it was totally unexpected. But I will tell you, for years and years since, and periodically, if I'm having any challenge, you know, or whatever, I'll say, hey, Kara, what are you thinking about? That my dad is handsome, you know? So I have really milked that one a whole lot. But years later, I'm in the car with my son, Rob. And Rob is about four or five years old, and it got quiet. Well, that was more typical, you know? He... He didn't talk as much as his sisters. So we're driving, and Rob's kind of looking out the window, and it hit me. You know, I remember what Kara said when I asked her. I wonder what Rob would say. So I said, hey, Rob. And he says, "Uh uh-uh. And I said, what are you thinking about right now? And he said, nothing. (laughs) And I said, Rob, come on, you, you're thinking about football or sports or, you know, Batman. Or, I said, what are you thinking about? And he goes, nothing. <laughs> and it hit me in that moment that men have a mental gear that women don't have called neutral. <laughs> we, we can put our minds in a neutral zone. But one, one of the insights that the Lord brought to us years ago we began to notice one of these differences in, in how we approach life. One, if my son did something that upset me, you know, I tell Pam, when that boy, when he gets home, I'm having to talk with him. And Pam would say, but, but honey, what are you going to say? And, and how are you going to say it? And when are you going to say it? And where are you going to sit? I'm, I don't care. I'm just going to have a talk with that boy. And i got to set him straight because his will has got to be shaped. So what we noticed is that men tend to have more of a focus on the will, but women tend to have a focus more on the way that we live out the will. And more and more, this idea of the will of a man and the way of a woman became clear. Then we said, well, let's look at Scripture. What has God taught us that he knows about how you talk to a man versus how you talk to or with a woman? As you know, women are wonderful, unique mysterious beings. Amen? I don't know who said it louder, men or women, but we are. We are unique and mysterious beings that God has created to do a specific job, to fulfill a specific role in this world. We are colorful, we're creative, we add fun to the atmosphere. We can also create a very stressful, intense atmosphere if we want to. It is difficult sometimes for us to um, maneuver 
through certain moments in life because of our differences, uh, because of the fact that men can go into neutral and men can, um, for you know, just kind of check out for a moment and and not necessarily maybe no offense, but not always know where they are or maybe know who they're with or care who they're with. Or, you know, sometimes it's funny. Uh, my girls and I, we went shopping with um, my husband and Rob wasn't with us. And that's always interesting when you have, you know, three daughters and you're shopping with dad. And, and it's four of us females and we're shopping with dad. And the girls, you know, they're, they're no, they know right which stores they want to go to. They've got it on their heads, what they're shopping for, what they're going for, and what they're looking at. And all of a sudden, I turned around and I said, hey, look at your dad. And he's like walking down the corridor of the mall, just kind of like, you know, looking around. I'm like, he doesn't know where he is right now. He's like somewhere else, you know. And, and I've learned this when, when they're writers, they like have a planet that they go to all their own, that they create stories and, and things are happening all on their own. And we were, we were laughing and I said, look, look how dad walks through a mall. Women would not walk through a mall like that. Women are very connected to everything that's going on and window shopping and what stores they're going to and the next thing on their list of agendas. So there is a very um, uh, obvious difference between men and women and God wanted it like that. Scripture says that God created both men and women, male and female, in his image. So the beauty of that is that he understands both of us. And the beauty of God putting men and women together is that there is a strength that he has designed that happens when we're together. There's a strength he's designed when we depend on one another. There's a strength within the, the role and, the, and the, the person of the male in a position that he has asked you to fill. And there's a, a place for the woman and the strength that he's given to her in her character. And when it all comes together, it's beautiful. It, when it works, it's, it's amazing and it's mysterious. But as we know, when it maybe has one of those off days <laughs> and it's not working so well, you know, we feel like our differences just keep us like islands and we're so far apart. One of the things that's really important about the, the will of a man and the way of a woman is that this isn't just about marriage. And this isn't about older women or, or, or your mom or your grandma. This is for women of all ages. This is for men of all ages. Because God has created men to fill a role not only in the home but in the world, in the church. He's created women to fill a beautiful role in the world and in the church, whether we're married or not. Marriage just adds another element to it all. Marriage is, uh, has a, a mystery to it. Relationships between men and women have a mystery to it. And I remember when, when I was first married, um, you know, it's, I often say to couples, we, now that we are on a university campus, we do a lot of premarital counseling. 
And we will tell couples often as they are preparing for their wedding and, you know, the girls are getting all into, you know, their dress and what the bridesmaids are going to wear, what the colors are going to be, what the flowers and all that stuff. And we say, just remember, when you come together as man and wife under one roof, it's like two countries in the world coming together and trying to create their own culture. It's kind of like Japan trying to join up with Mexico and, and trying to take the cultures and the traditions of the homes and come together under one roof and create one country. Do you know how difficult that would be? Well, that's about as difficult as it can be some days, can't it? Husbands and wives, right? We come together, and it doesn't matter if we were raised across the street from one another. We come together and we're trying, God has called us to become one. That doesn't happen on the honeymoon, amen? That's a lifetime process. And it takes a lot of self-sacrifice and it takes a lot of depending on God for that to happen. I sometimes will think, God, why did you create him so different from me? But we're supposed to be one. We're supposed to enjoy this thing called marriage. How does that happen? I have a lot of questions when I get to heaven. And I learned one day that oftentimes, you know, and it's funny, you meet a lot of couples, and one of the things you will find almost immediately are their diff how different they are from one another. We say opposites attract. There, there is a lot of truth to that. The things that, that we are opposite in often really intrigue us about one another. You know, how many times have you met a man who's a fairly quiet man, steady as she goes, consistent, and the woman's like, yes, we're ready to go. We're, we're a party waiting to happen. Or you, you find a man that wants to, you know, he's excited about life and he wants to get involved in all these different things and she just wants to stay at home. She just wants, she's a homebody. She doesn't want anybody to bother her schedule and he wants to, you know, go conquer the world. And the Lord has a way of bringing these kind of personalities together. And I really, truly believe it's because we cannot learn to depend on one another. It is beautiful when we do, but God wants us to depend, number one, on, wants us to depend, number one, on him. I cannot, I remember the day when the Lord told me, you're, you're trying to find all your joy in, in your relationship with your husband. You're allowing your marriage to determine the joy in which you are going to share in life. You are, you are trying to put everything, anchor everything into this one man. And I didn't create you to do that. I didn't create him to be the all in all, to be the end all and, and to have everything. But that together... That together we come to God. That together we put our lives together. We put our hearts together. We put our, our focuses together and we focus on the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we allow him to give to us what we need to continue to move through life. But oftentimes the way of a woman can not only create the the highlight moments in, in marriage and in a home, but it can create some pretty difficult, stressful times in a home. And I believe it's, it has to do with our expectations as women. 
we ladies, we, we're wonderful, we're colorful, but boy, we've got some expectations we want people to live up to. And my husband shared something one day, and I was sitting where you are, and I, I caught it in a deep way, and it was this. When our expectations are here, and reality is here, what do we have in between? And let me, let me put that in an example. When I expect as a wife to have, you know, the designer clothes, when I want a certain type of a house, when I want to be driving a certain type of a car, but reality, our budget says that reality is here. And I keep telling him what I expect of him and how I expect to be living as a woman and how I want my home to look and how I want my clothes to be and how I want my kids to look. And when yet reality, what, what is coming home in the paycheck every week is here. I'm creating stress in between. So when our expectations are here and our reality is here, we have stress that gets built up in between. That means that somehow we either need to alter our expectations or change the reality. And wise women of God will submit those expectations to his throne. And we will allow ourselves to begin to see how we can lower the stress in our home, in our marriage, the expectations that we've placed on our husbands, on our children, and we are able to see where life really is. Where's the reality at? Where does God, where has he said, you know, I've given you. When is enough enough? And we begin to see that, that it is more of an enemy to us, and, and even in our homes, and the atmosphere we create, when we try and keep everything you know, all of our expectations high. And we're not willing to, to come and, and meet life where God has it and know that what we are going to gain in life really has nothing to do with all these things that we want or how we expect life to go. But it has everything to do with being submissive and obedient to God's will. One of the ways that I also have learned that that women have a way about them is knowing the way we like things done. Now, men don't always understand this about us. Men sometimes think we're crazy about these things. But there is. There's a way we like things done. We, you know, we like our rugs vacuumed a certain way. We like our towels folded a certain way. You know, woe be to the child that puts the dishes in the dishwasher the wrong way. Or the husband that tries to help and we say, no, 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 that's not the way you do that. That's not the way you clear the table. That's not the way you make the bed. Let me show you the way to make the bed right. Oftentimes when uh, we've uh, done marriage conferences and marriage retreats, we'll, we'll have a table and I'll have a couple towels, a couple hand towels, and we'll have like four women come up and I'll say, now fold the towels the way you fold the towels. Do you know that those towels will be folded four different ways? I'm like, how do people come up with all these ways to fold towels? Because typically we've learned something from our mother or we've, we've brought it into our marriage and, and we've tried to create, you know, we're carrying on the way 
that we've learned. But the beautiful part of it is when you can learn the way of a woman, you will learn to appreciate something more unique than just her demands and the things that she wants done and how she wants it done. Men, when God created, you know, the, the character of the man, he created a conqueror in a man. You conquer. You love to conquer. And no offense, gentlemen, but if you looked at a man's life, it's kind of like a line. If you, draw, if you drew a, took a pencil and just drew a line on a piece of paper, you're like a line. And you have these conquering points in life. You know, you, you're born and you go through school, you're going to conquer good grades. You're going to conquer the little girlfriend. Then you're going to conquer graduation. Then you're going to conquer the job. Then you're going to conquer another girlfriend. And then you're going to conquer, you know, that occupation. Then you're going to conquer your wife. And then you're going to conquer that promotion at, at, at your work. And you're going to conquer that, that raise and pay that you want to get. You, you're, you go through life and you're conquering all these certain moments in life. And then you get to that point and you're going to conquer a good retirement. And then you die. So you conquer, 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 and you die. We have this line. Women, we are not that simple. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean we are not that easy to figure out. <coughs> We're a little bit more complicated. We're like a tapestry. Instead of one line, we are like many lines. And how many men say, yes, I know, amen. We are like many lines. We are like a tapestry because everything is meaningful to us. Everything is connected. Everything means something. How my husband greets me in the morning could determine the rest of my day if I let it. Whether my children show me respect or not could, tell, could make me feel, you know, very discouraged in my day. Or make me not want to make dinner for them that night. Do I feel valued? Do I feel loved? Determine sometimes how I'm going to approach my, you know, my neighbor or my job. Determines how I decorate. Do I feel appreciated? Well, if I don't, you might not get a Christmas tree this year. Who knows? We're very connected to the things in life. How I feel about myself and whether or not I value who I am has a lot to do with how loved I feel from those that are close to me, those that I'm looking for approval from or acceptance from. So we're a little bit more complicated than just the line and the conquering points of life. We do want to be conquered by the man that we love, but... We also want to be respected, and we want to be valued, and we want to be led, lovingly led, by the man that God has given to us in our life. There is a way about us, and you know we know about that way, and we know that God is concerned about that way, and we know that God is aware of that way by the way he spoke to Mary, a real Real popular story right now at this time of the year at Christmas. But let's look at Luke, the first chapter, 
verses 26 to 38 in the NIV, and it says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to his son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked. Since I am a virgin. In other words, what way, in what way is this going to happen? Since I am a virgin, everything physically tells me there is no way that this can happen. So God, in what way will this happen? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me, be, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So Mary's number one question was, how will this happen? In what way will this happen, God? And God communicated to her exactly the way. He took time. He had the messenger, the angel, take time to communicate to Mary the way that this is going to happen. The way that he would allow this miracle to take place. God didn't come to this little woman, Mary, and say, look, I'm God. You shouldn't ask me any questions. You should just believe this is going to happen. Or he didn't come to her and say, you know what, I'm going to take over your body and don't ask me anything, just, you know, submit. Just be the tool and the instrument I need you to be. Instead, he sent a beautiful messenger. Instead, there was a way in which he communicated. There was a way in which the atmosphere was created. There was a way in which he lovingly began to describe to her how the Holy Spirit would come over her and through the work of the Holy Spirit, she would conceive. The way of a woman at its, at its worst is frustrating, nagging, disrespectful, discouraging, negative, divisive, and on and on. But the way of a woman at its best, she is insightful. She's supportive, encouraging, helpful, gracious, positive, challenging, stretching. And the way of a woman, she is committed to her man. Amen. And so God knows how to talk with a woman. You know, he knows it. He understands. Uh, as Pam shared, 
uh, when Mary said, well, well, how would this be? You know, and by the way, what a tender moment that was. Can you imagine as a young girl of urgent, first of all, an angel shows up in your room. I think that's probably enough to make you feel like you're going to have a heart attack, you know. And the angel tells you, you're going to have a baby, and it is going to be God's baby. <laughs> Can you imagine what went on in her heart? But she said, how will this be? As Pam said, what way? And how many times have wives asked their husbands, you know, this idea of yours, how are we going to afford it? How are we going to do this? And we as men, because of our egos, we say, just trust me. You know, you're, you're my wife. You should submit to me. God didn't talk to Mary that way. He patiently told her, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The power of God is going to overshadow you. So that the one that is born of you is clearly born of God. What a beautiful moment. God knows how to talk to a woman. But he also knows how to talk to a man. Now let's look at Joseph. What did God say if you look at Matthew 1 and verse 18? What can we learn about how God spoke to Joseph? Matthew 1, 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of God, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So do you notice something? First of all, when God speaks to a man, he uses fewer words. <laughs> when he spoke to Mary, he used more words. There's a principle there all alone that would take a whole day seminar to talk about. <laughs> but look at what he does. To talk to the man, he puts him, he, he meets him in a dream. So guys, I look at it this way. It's like he has to knock the man out. <laughs> so he's in a dream. Here he is sleeping. He's in a dream, probably on his back. And an angel appears in the dream. When God talks, he sounds like a drill sergeant. Mary will have a baby. You will name him Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. Do you notice a pattern? Will, will, will. Why? Because, guys, we have this will. You know, people call it the indomitable male ego. Uh, the will of a man. So here, God is speaking to Joseph and challenges him. 
this is how it will occur. Now, the, the will at its, at its best, a man's will within a home can be very focusing. Uh, it can be purposeful. It can be Christ-like, protective, committed, faithful, grounded, dependable. You know, the will of a man can be like an anchor in a home. Not, not a tool that you use to hurt or divide, but a God-given ability you use to guide and to lead your home and to lead it in a loving way. So, at its worst, what does a man's will do within a home at its worst? Well, at its worst, it's abusive. It is unreasonable, selfish, unfaithful, stubborn, insensitive, explosive, unpredictable, and unreliable. God knows, he, he knows not only how to, to draw us, uh, how to lead us. The Lord knows how to draw the way of a woman, but he knows how to call the will of a man. Let me ask you, is the will of God important? Yes. You know, we want, we want his will. We say, Lord, help me to know your will. But I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible, I see how God talks about his will. But even more than his will, I see him talking about his ways. You know, the ways of the Lord. What does God say? My ways are higher than your ways. And, and we would say, how far? Well, God says, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. You know, we read the Bible, we read the, the Scripture, not only are the words inspired, but the ways are inspired. You know, we, we not only look at people in the Bible serving God, but we see how they serve God. We see how they live for him. Now, as Pam shared earlier, women, she tells me, struggle with their expectations. You know, to put your expectations within the hands of God. Men, we struggle with our egos. You know? And, I, and let me tell you, in the last three or four years, because of the recession, uh, men, a lot of men have struggled. You know, I've talked to men who wake up in the morning worried about how they're going to pay the bills. And, and it can become difficult and challenging. And we hit a point where we really have to trust God. And I like what one person said. He said, you know what the ego is? It is edging God out. Edging God out, you know, where I'm going to do this. But what we find, whether expectations or ego, God is calling us to depend on him, to put our trust in him. So what do you do with your what do you do with your expectations? What do you do with your way? What did Mary do? 
She said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be unto me as you have said. So what do you do? You yield your way to God. And you discover that the plan that he has for you is different than you anticipated. But it is perfectly lined up to his plan and his will. Why? Because what he's doing in us, first and foremost, is not working to make us more comfortable, but to make us more Christ-like. So that the Jesus shines through us. But what do you do with the will? What do men do with their will? What God wants is what Joseph did. You surrender to God. You say, Lord, I'm going to pick up the surrender flag of my will, and I say, Lord, I am all yours. I trust you. I put my faith in you. I put my will in your hands. I put my life in your hands. And I follow you. So, what does it mean for you and me today? You know, on a morning like this, December 2012, you and I, first of all, the Lord knows us thoroughly. You know, He knows us. He knows what we struggle with, but He knows what our potential is. And He's calling us to follow. Just as He called Mary to yield to Him, and Joseph to surrender to him in order for the Word of God to be born in their lives. Literally. For you and me, spiritually, the Word of God is being born in our lives. But He calls for us to trust, to surrender, and He calls for us to yield. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed, Lord, we pause and we worship. We lift you up. You are the God of all. You're the God who has an incredible will, but you also have ways that you want us to follow. And you are calling us to serve you, to yield to you, much as you call Mary and Joseph to yield and to surrender to you. But Lord, in order to follow, it also means that we have to leave something. And Lord, I recall yesterday as I was praying over this weekend, and I ask you, is there something that you want us to say other than what we have prepared to say? Or in addition to, and immediately I felt that there was someone here that you wanted to say to them, in order for you to follow Jesus, there is something you have to leave behind. You're holding on to it, but you have to leave it behind to follow him. So Lord, for all of us today, we know what we have to leave is our own way and our own will. And Lord, I pray over men and women, the most important way to leave our way and will is when we become born again, when we put our faith in Jesus, when we follow you. But Lord, we discover 
her that over and over again, you call us to yield and to surrender ourselves to you. So I'm going to ask, as you're here today, men and women, in a moment, Pam and I want to pray over you. But what I want to do for the next just few minutes is I want to open these altars. You could be here as an individual, as a man, as a woman, uh, as a young person, as a couple. The Word of God is working within you. The Word of God is calling you closer in your walk with Jesus. So I want to open these altars. If you want to come and yield yourself, you're here as a, a woman and you're saying, I want to yield my, my way to the way of God. You're here as a man and you say, I want to surrender Surrender to God and His perfect will. Just come. Just come. You can stand and just yield and surrender.
tell you that I, I believe the Lord is so pleased when we surrender. I don't know what it is, but we, we hear Him call us to us. We surrender, and then we leave church, and we have a tendency to start taking it back into our own hands. Only to find that He brings us again and again to that point of surrender. So, so part of it, what we hope and pray is that as His Spirit works within us, more and more He brings us to that place where Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself. You have to deny your will and your way. you got to take up your cross every day and follow me. And to follow it means that there's some things we have to leave. And, and we follow Him. And we move in the direction of His will. Well, the Lord is working the attitude of Joseph and Mary into the people of God. Why? Because He wants the Word to be born in you and me. He wants people to see Christ incarnate in our lives and through us. And as you walk with Him, as you surrender, as you yield, may the Lord cause Jesus to be seen, to be known, and to be experienced. Let's give the Lord a clap offering and praise. God bless you. Thank you, Doctor. Let's stand as we close in prayer. What an amazing word of God and gift from the Lord this morning. I think that the Lord poured out His grace towards us through the ministry of Dr. Crosby and his wife. Let's give the Lord a hand for today. I think that it was a timely word and they nailed it right on the head. You know, how many of us men, we want to just conquer. We want to go out and do our own thing. And we wake up in the morning thinking, oh, man, what am I going to do? You know, God wants you to give that burden to him. Just give it to him. 